Welcome to Kitty Talks, the podcast that shows you how to follow your passion and purpose. My name is Kitty Waters. I'm a serial entrepreneur and co-founder of ATL Europe Group, also the creator of Kitty Talks. Our mission is to inspire a generation of changemakers to follow their passion and purpose and make a difference on the planet. All our interviewees have been carefully selected and you will hear amazing inspirational stories of people who have listened to their little voice and followed their purpose. They will reveal bite-sized tips and success secrets that can help you to fulfill your passion and purpose on the planet. Be sure to head over to kittytalks.com and sign up for our exclusive club where you can hear behind-the-scenes footage. These interviews will inspire you to take action. Please like and share so others can have the courage to follow their passion and purpose too. Good afternoon and welcome to Kitty Talks. We share inspirational life stories that encourage you to create yours. And today I have with me Michelle Elman. Hi, Michelle. Hi, thanks for having me. Michelle is wonderful and she is a five-board accredited life coach who specializes in body confidence. She's the creator of Scarred Not Scared campaign, where she shares her own personal story of having 15 surgeries by the age of 20 with her audience of over 20k followers on Instagram. So Michelle, welcome to Kitty Talks. Hi, thank you so much for having me and it's great to be here. Well, I'm really, um, we just had a quick chat beforehand and I'm really excited about talking to you a little bit more in depth and in detail because when I, as a woman who's had, and still continues to have massive body issues, you know, I think you speaking up and what you're doing in the world is really admirable and you know not many people can be that honest and open about their journey so I was really excited that you came on. I sort of only have one mode which is like oversharing most and how I am in real life. So you're you, you're coaching like you're a coach you're, you work with individuals around uh, body confidence? Yes. I'm a life coach. I'm trained in NLP, timeline therapy, hypnotherapy, and NLP coaching. Wow. Um, I got trained, oh, it's nearly three years ago now. And um, yeah, it was after I got qualified, uh, after I got my bachelor's in psychology. And um, I accidentally found it just Googling hypnotherapy one day, okay. uh, wanting to do a bit of research into hypnotherapy because I'd had a few good experiences with it. and came across this world which unleashed all these new techniques that made no sense to me but somehow worked and um that's how I got into all of it okay fantastic and then um, obviously in your um bio and obviously on your website you're really open about the fact that you had loads of surgeries like when you were a lot younger can you tell us tell us a bit more about that so my first surgery started when I was probably one years old. Um, I've had a punctured intestine and structured bowel, a system of brain, a brain tumour, um, and I have a condition called hydrocephalus. Um, it was scattered throughout my life. I had both of the surgeries when I was a baby, then at seven, then at 11, um, then at 19, and my most recent hospitalisation was in September. Oh my God. Um, and... Oh. 
parts are complicated, parts are connected. Um, it's a medical history that isn't compared to most and doesn't really make a lot of sense to most doctors. But um, where my campaign started was the fact that a lot of people go through these surgeries, but there's not really enough support in terms of a community, in terms of not being alone, and in terms of the psychological effects of physical illness. And that's where I kind of started talking about all of it. And before I knew it, all these people were reaching out. And I definitely realized I wasn't alone, but I didn't realize how needed this conversation was. And that everything I'd been feeling growing up, because not only do I have scars all over my stomach, but I also had headaches for the majority of my life. Um, I realized that by talking about all of this, it undid a lot of the shame around um, chronic illness, chronic pain, um, and having a body that is very different from the norm. Wow. And how did that make you feel? Because obviously as a child in and out of hospital, that must have you know, really kind of alienated you, I'd have thought, from your friends. And it was also the fact that I just always felt different. And as a child, what you want more than anything is to fit in and be like your friends. And But there's something very curious about the fact that you get to an age where you don't realise you're different. And then suddenly, at one point in your life, you realise, oh, wait, there's something different about me. Oh, wait, someone's staring. And it's usually, or at least for me and for a lot of the people who follow me, it's this moment where someone looks down on you or pities you and you realise that you're not as capable as someone else because someone is looking down on you for whatever reason. My moment was when I decided at nine years old that I was going to wear a bikini. All my friends had started wearing bikinis. Um, And I said to my mom, I want a bikini. And she paused for a small second and I was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. I was wondering why she was acting weird, went to the shop. And it was when I came out of the change room that a mother and daughter were standing outside and just looked at me with so much pity. The, the daughter whispered to her mother saying, what's wrong with her? And I just stared at my mom really confused because my stomach was my stomach. I didn't know any different. Yeah. Um, and that's where the majority of my scars are. I also have some on my ankle and loads on my head, but it's covered by hair. Um, and in my day-to-day life, they're all hidden. So it was only when that happened that I realized, oh, wait, there's something different. Oh, wait, I do actually have to tell my friends I have surgeries. And I do actually have to tell my friends that almost warned them. Um, but I'm really stubborn and I'm really headstrong. And even at that age I was determined to still buy that bikini and I was like I'm not going to let them affect me I'm going to buy the bikini so I went to the my friend's birthday party the next day and uh that's when all my friends started whispering because I had realized that I my hospital experiences weren't normal and that I had never explained that to my friends so there was a lot of whispering and that's when I packed the bikini away and decided that I was going to hide my scars for the rest of my life and no one would ever find out about it. But that's not realistic if you ever want to have a romantic relationship with someone. <laughs> so it kind of took me up to 18 years old when I was like, great, now I have to take my top off of, in front of someone. And I can't just hide it. And it will be a someone who I care most about. And it will be a someone whose opinion will mean the world to me. Yeah. Um, and I started Googling for it. And I started Googling, how do I tell my boyfriend about my scars? 
And all that came up were self-harm scars. And whilst that's a really important conversation, it's a very different one. And this is five years ago, a bit more than that. The internet was fully fledged. You can find anything on the internet, but yet you couldn't find how to tell, like any advice on how to talk about surgery scars. And so that's when I kind of felt like if it's not there, then someone needs to create it. There's an amazing quote which says, um, if you if there's a book you need and uh, it doesn't exist, then you're the one who needs to create it. And I kind of took that as my sign that um, I needed to create this community and this platform to talk about surgery scars and undo all the shame that's attached to it. And did it did it come like a flash of inspiration like that, or was it slowly that you kind of one piece came and then how did it come about? It definitely trickled through. So the first point was when I was 18 and I started Googling it. I was like, why is this not on here? And then um, I went through uni struggling, trying to figure out how to tell boyfriends all through uni. Um, and then I graduated. And in the, my last year, in my second year of uni, I went into hospital um, for an obstructive bowel. And the following year, I got PTSD, which was a result of all the other um, surgeries. I had just not, I would have, I would probably say I had repressed all my memories when it came to that. I think I wasn't old enough to deal with them. Um, and it's very hard for an 11-year-old to make sense of things that most people don't go through until they're 80 or 90 years old. So I just pushed through and kept pushing through until I reached breaking point um, at 20 years old and got PTSD and just started hysterically crying every day for three months. Finally went to see a psychologist which is ironic because it took me three months to do that, considering I was doing a psychology degree. <laughs> and I was telling everyone else to go see a psychologist, but I couldn't get myself there. And when I eventually did, I actually had to leave my keys at home. So I couldn't return home. And this was in the middle of winter. So I was like, well, it's either I go or I stand on my doorstep for an hour in the freezing cold. So I've got to go now. Um, yeah, I literally forced myself there. Um, and then I just... There was something about the therapy model that didn't work for me. It was the first session where she said, you have this thing called, uh, you have this thing called PTSD and you're going to have this for the rest of your life and we're going to teach you how to manage it. And as I said, I'm really stubborn and really headstrong. And I was just like, no, I was fine yesterday. I can be fine tomorrow. You can't tell me this is going to be the rest of my life. I can't just accept these symptoms for the rest of my life. I'm a very happy person. I still identify as a very happy person. And this person who's been crying every day for three months is not a person I know or want to be. Um, so I struggled with therapy for months um, and then eventually gave up, which left me with my graduation looming with a psychology degree, knowing not what like what not to do for the because I'd I'd already already decided to be a psychologist when I was eleven. So I'm like, great. Now I don't believe in therapy and I somehow want to be a psychologist, but I can't go to a psychologist myself. Like that's quite a big internal conflict. Um, and I can't have that conflict inside of me for the rest of my life while doing a career that I'm not a hundred percent sure works. And that's kind of how I felt found NLP. Um, but through that, um, I undid a lot of my own issues with my body and my um my appearance and then when I had just finished training and decided I was going to go to Australia for my clear my head 
fresh start and then I'd start my business when I came back. And I was talking to my friend and I was saying like, I really want to dig into body confidence. It's something which has always been passionate, a passion of mine. My dissertation was on confidence, but I want to go even more niche and just talk about body confidence because it just made me so sad. At the time I was volunteering in Great Ormond Street Hospital and it made me so sad that I was walking around the ward and every single child there had a scar, but no one was talking about it. Right. So I was talking to her about it and then she said, okay, well, if you want to be a body confidence coach, why don't you, we were in Australia, so we were in big swimsuits the whole time. And she was like, well, why don't you wear a bikini if you're so proud of your scars? And I just never considered it. And almost without thinking, I went, people with scars can't wear bikinis. And wow. I, it's, it's so funny when that old mentality gets stuck in there and it comes out your mouth before you think. And I go, whoa, that's something that needs fixing because now I have this NLP brain, which can't just leave a limiting belief in my mind like that. Well, and for those people listening who maybe haven't come across NLP, give us, because obviously you and I understand it, but give, give people out there listening, you know, how NLP works and like you said about collapsing limiting beliefs. So, yeah. So for me, NLP is about uh, being more future orientated than therapy. It's about fixing your problems, not managing them. And it's also about um, realizing your potential more than therapy is. Therapy is more about talking about the problem and NLP is more about fixing it. That's how I differentiate between the two. And um, collapsing limiting beliefs, I usually do with something called timeline therapy um, because there's a point in your life where you learned that belief. And all beliefs aren't factual, uh, even the good ones. And therefore, you can break them because... Uh, they don't hold up to quantum theory, which is really boring. And so therefore, you create a boundary around it and you can break that boundary neurologically and not hold it um, as a limiting belief in something that prevents you. Because um, when you have a limiting belief, it means you perceive the world in that way with that belief imprinted on it. And therefore, you can't... So actually, it's probably best if I give an example. If you believe you're bad at writing, for example, yeah, and um, you go through your life thinking that you're bad at writing, you will find all the examples in the world to support that belief because your brain doesn't want to have this internal conflict. Mm-hmm. But if you remove that limiting belief, you'll start to be open to the possibility of being a good writer. But more than that, you'll start to remember the instances in your life when you're complimented on your writing and have just blocked out of your memory because it doesn't fit in line with your beliefs. And so using a number of techniques, you can really easily remove these limiting beliefs and start fact-checking them and um, factually disproving them. And this obviously unleashes this whole potential that you realize almost that anything is possible. And it gave me this huge burst of energy just coming out of it. Um, and then going to Australia with this huge burst of energy, thinking anything was possible. And uh, my friend being like, oh, well, anything's possible, but not wearing a bikini. And so I was like, okay, I have to face that head on. Um, and I decided that the summer of 2014 would be the summer I wore my bikini for the first time. And I already had a trip planned to Florida in July, and that was going to be when I wore uh, my bikini for the first time. And Really funnily, the night before, I'm packing for Florida and I realized you can't wear a bikini if you don't have one. <laughs> and 
I was like, great. Okay. So I went like on ASOS, shopped like instantly, tried to find as many bikinis as I could. They all came, they all did fit. And I went, you know what? Maybe this goal isn't the right time to smash it. Like maybe it's just, let's push it back another couple of months, maybe next month, maybe next year, as we all do. And then I was going to Florida for a coaching retreat where I was, wasn't being the coach. I was um, being a participant. Um, because I'm obsessed with this world and I love this world as a participant as much as I do as a coach. And I was sitting there and on the first day, someone comes back from the lunch break and stands up and goes, I just wore a bikini for the first time. And you can imagine in my chest, sinking, being like, oh, great. (laughs) Sign from the universe. Exactly. And then, so then, well, so I'm like thinking about this the whole day. I haven't said this to anyone. I've made a new a few friends by this point. And then I mention it to these two two women who I made friends with. And I was like, oh, well, I did have this goal, but I didn't bring a bikini. And they were like, and I was like, I can't find one in my size because I'm plus size. And in England, it's quite hard to find plus size bikinis. At least two years ago, it was. And they, were like, they both were, you do realize we're in America. <laughs> And you can find a plus size bikini really quite easily. And they dragged me down to the hotel shop. And I was like, they're not going to have a bikini in my size. But we went through the whole store. There were like 10 different bikinis in my size. <laughs> they got all 10, put me in the changing room, and were like, you're buying one. Even if it doesn't look great, you're buying it. <laughs> and I wore a bikini for the first time, thanks yeah. to two amazing beautiful friends. And it was the most liberating feeling, not because no one stared, but because I didn't care. And because I was doing it for me, I really didn't mind that people were staring. And it was in that moment that it was the funniest thing happened because I was sitting down and I was kind of feeling really proud of myself. And one of my friends just happened to say like, oh, what's that tattoo on your wrist? And I was like, oh, this one. Oh, this is from an amazing moment that happened last year when I went to Japan and we went to this nude spa and blah, blah, blah. I start talking about it. She was like, wait, last year you were walking around in a spa naked. And I was like, yeah, why? And she was like, no, you're okay walking around naked, but you weren't okay walking around in a bikini? And I was like, it's so funny how your mind just compartmentalizes things. And I had made this bikini such a big thing from when I was seven years old. When the year before, I had no qualms about walking around naked just because it hadn't been categorized as something which I couldn't do. Um, And if that didn't put the nail in the coffin of my body confidence issues, that certainly did. So I was like, actually, if I can walk around naked at a spa, then in Japan, all spas are naked. I just don't generally walk around naked. Um, Then I can do anything. And then what was even more amazing is I went into the pool um, and one of the coaches was there, but he was also someone I knew through a friend. So he was my age and we were just chatting about something. I was like, oh, this is actually the first time I'm wearing a bikini. Um, and he, I told him the story of when I was seven years old. And he goes, okay, but you were seven years old. Wouldn't you pity a girl who was seven years old with that many surgeries? And I just never seen that event and that experience in the context of my age because it might not have been pity, but it would be like, if you saw a girl with that many surgery scars at that age, you would go, oh. Yeah, I you wouldn't want anyone to go through that at any age, but especially seven, you know. 
also not a judgmental thing. It's more a compassionate thing, which got interpreted by me as a negative experience. But when he said that, I was like, I've never viewed that experience in the context of the age that I was at, because I've obviously pulled it apart. And now I think about it as a 21-year-old, now as a 23-year-old, but at the time, 21. Um, And I didn't realize that the pity was so connected to my age and that now as a 21-year-old wearing a bikini, no one's walking around pitying me. They're staring because it's unusual, but it's not because they're pitying me anymore. Um, And that was what was, I think, the defining moment of me launching all of this and deciding that, okay, I'm going to go out there and do a whole post about this. And that's what went viral. And I had decided it was going to be my first post for Scar Not Scared. Um, turned into the Instagram page, which turned into a blog, which turned into everything else that I run now. And where did the name come from? Where did you get? Because obviously, that's a, you know, it's a brilliant line, um, Scar Not Scared. That was the universe helping me along the way. Yeah. I would call it the summer of scars. And um, what had happened was at the time, I was trying to get a lot of social media advice because I didn't really understand social media. I'd been using it growing up, but I didn't really understand it. And I was helping this woman just because she was like talking about body confidence issues. And I was like, oh, I know this really fast technique, which will fix that for you in 10 minutes. Um, and... I was at that stage where you just learn all these cool techniques and you just want to like pull them out as party tricks whenever you can. Um, now I would advise coaches or anyone who's trained in them to do that. <laughs> at the time I did it. Um, and she had an issue about feeling short and everything like that. And when we were done, she was like, let me pay you in somewhere. And I was like, no, 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 it was, it was just as much fun for me. Don't worry about it. She was like, well, then how can I help you? What do you need? And I was like, I just need some social media advice right now. So she put me in touch with all these social media experts. She happened to work in the industry, I'm from the universe, um, who kept telling me like, oh, you can't, you can't do it on this and you can't do it on that. And they pushed me so far away from my campaign that one day I just got so exhausted with all of it. Now, they were like, you can't put it on Instagram because Instagram is such a new platform, all these things. And I just got to a point in the middle of the evening, like I think it was two o'clock in the morning and I was like, screw all of that I can't even recognize this campaign anymore this is not what I wanted I wanted to do it my way and really like out of exasperation posted it at two o'clock in the morning woke up the next morning to like celebrities having liked it it being shared everywhere and I had ignored all this advice um and summer of scars turned into scar not scared because uh I had some amazing advice that it sounds like promoting self-harm and I didn't think about it in that context. Um, and so it turned into Scar Not Scared because I also think there's something about emotional scars that come with the physical scars, which get incorporated in it. Um, and that's, it, to me, it just epitomizes, I just, I love the name myself because it epitomizes how I felt in that moment. It was like the first time I was just so liberated by not being defined by my fear and the funny thing is with surgery is that, especially when you grow up with chronic illness, is I the worst of my surgeries happened when I was 11 years old. And when I came out of that, I was so scared to go back into hospital. Um, and I stopped doing everything I loved. I used to horse ride. I stopped doing that just in case I fell off the horse. I used to wakeboard, but I stopped doing that just in case my head hit the water at the wrong angle. I stopped doing everything I loved to do. Um, 
And it was only eight years later when I went into hospital again. And I went, I've just spent the last eight years of my life being so cautious. And I still went back into hospital. Um, and so after that, this was the year YOLO was a phrase. I was like, I'm going to have a YOLO summer and do everything that's terrified me for the last eight years. And break, and this is way before NLP. This was like me at 18 years old. And break all these like, I can't do this. I um, shouldn't be doing that rules that I've created. And that is kind of how I also envisage Scar Not Scared because I think when you have illness, you start limiting yourself and you start getting scared of everything because especially when you're a child growing up with a uh, chronic illness, it's always said out of love, but it's like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Be careful. Watch out. You're not like other people. You're not like, just be careful. And it, that's why the scared part of it also resonates with me and people with chronic illness because it's the fear of going back into hospital, the fear of injuring yourself can be more debilitating than the illness itself. And you end up not living your life. Yeah. And that's what happened when I went into hospital when I was 19, because I was like, okay, fine. I've been really cautious for eight years. And maybe that was the reason I stayed out of hospital for eight years. But I also haven't lived my life at all for the last eight years. I stopped doing everything I loved. And what if one of these hospital experiences lead to my death? What am I going to have then? Like a, just a whole life of experiences where I didn't do just in case. That just didn't add up to me and didn't make sense. And um, that's why I think it's also about just, it's okay to have fear. It's just not okay to let that fear dictate your life. Mm. And that's your message now, isn't it, to people out there, isn't it? Because, you know, it's bringing uh, awareness to the issue yeah. and showing people that, like you said, they don't have to be defined by that, you know, issue as such or supposed yeah. issue. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm not a fan of labels and I'm not a fan of even my own condition. I don't actively use it or identify with it because yeah. I think... To me, they just, even the word disability, like in it is so, it's so negative. And I, why focus on that? I want to focus about the ability I do have and the things I can do. And I could spend all day thinking about all the things I can't do and the ways I'm different. Or I can start thinking about the ways that I am still able to do a lot given my, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't know many people who have my hospital record who are as able and capable as I am in terms of, I'm not limited in terms of my mobility. I'm not limited in terms of my mentality. Um, and that is what I'm grateful for. And I think the way you respect people who uh, haven't had that opportunity is by making the most of your life. So what would you, some of us out there, they're listening to this interview and, you know, they're going through some stuff at the moment. You know, maybe they have been labelled, maybe they have been given a condition. What would your advice be to people out there who maybe are at the start of their journey and they are feeling encroached or, you know, shut in by this label that they've been given? How would you, how would you set to approach it? Start pushing the boundaries of what you believe is possible in your life. Because once you start pushing the boundaries, it's something really strange happens where your comfort zone um, grows, but not just that your discomfort zone is actually the place where you grow to be comfortable in. So this YOLO summer that I was talking about, I spent every single day of that summer doing something that terrified me. Even things like dance classes used to terrify me because what if you can't leave? What if you embarrass yourself? What if you fall over? 
Like you can spend all day thinking these thoughts. And that's what I did all day for eight years. Um, and so I just went to a dance class. And the thing that I had in my head doing all these things is you can leave at any point. You can leave at any point. Just get there. Get there and do it for five minutes and you can leave at any point. And saying that to myself has always got me there and has never meant I left after five minutes. And just pushing that boundary. I mean, I also went on a hike that, um, that summer and I hated hiking. I, it was in Hong Kong where it's 95% humidity. And I hated hiking because you can't just leave when you want to leave. But once you start, you get to a point where you can't turn back. And then you get to a point where if you turn back, it's the same distance as if you kept going. Yeah. I was stuck in the middle of a mountain looking up at this third uphill climb that we had um, with my sister going, just one more, just one more. And it's all downhill from there. And she was lying to me the whole way. And I was just in the middle of the mountain and felt like it was the perfect metaphor for my life because I was halfway through, had just started freaking out. I had something myself out actually is what I realized and I had created this panic attack in my head by just like creating worst case scenarios and I was in the middle of the mountain and I was like this is literally my life at the moment I can either keep doing what I've been doing and be terrified the whole time or I can just keep going like I keep going and keep, and then at the end I can be proud of what I've done even if it was the worst experience of my life I've done it um but then when you get to the end, you never feel that way. When you get to the end, you never go, oh, that was the worst experience of my life. I'm never going to do it. You go, whoa, I just accomplished something huge. So are you saying then rather than being defined by what they said your condition, you should you should do within your condition, you yeah. decided to turn it around and say, actually, I'm just going to stretch my boundaries, stretch my, yeah. my kind of stretch what I think is possible for myself in a different manner and actually it shifted you out of even anywhere near how you were being defined. So what's quite funny is I posted about this recently on Instagram because I said that sometimes it's about doing what's responsible for your health because you get told like be responsible when you have chronic illness and chronic pain you get told be careful and be responsible more times than you get told anything else like you're not being responsible if you go on a hike and let's say you get caught in the middle of the mountain and you have a headache or the hell are you meant to do? That's not responsible. Yeah. And I just got so frustrated with that word because I'm like, who else lives their life being responsible? Like, that's just the weirdest concept in, <laughs> into me. So I, I posted about it and I got so much backlash from people who had never had health conditions being like, well, that's not what the doctor would say you would do. And I was like, well, the doctor doesn't have to live my life. The doctor doesn't have to live every day in pain. And when and the reason why I started talking about it was because I have a lot of people who I follow who also have chronic pain. And um, it was one woman who had cystic fibrosis. And she said that running, uh, she's, been, she's been told she shouldn't be running because it's really bad for her health. It makes her cystic fibrosis worse. And she went for a run because she was like, I know it's not the responsible thing to do. I know I'm going to be strapped to my inhaler for the next two hours. But you know what? It was bloody worth it because it gave me the best high and it was great for my mental health. And that's what I needed because running was the best, like running was the thing that made her feel capable. Running was the thing that made her feel able, made her feel made her feel like she wasn't different and wasn't limited. So why not do it? I'm not saying go do it every day. I'm mm -hmm. saying just put the boundary and it's okay. And 
if you're going to have the chronic illness for the rest of your life, you might as well live your life enjoying it and enjoying what you can do instead of just focusing on the things you can't do. And I know all the doctors listening to this are going to be like, this is ridiculous and it's irresponsible and everything like that. But you live my life and then tell me whether whether I, I should be dictated by responsibility. Right. Now, it makes total sense because what you're saying is that when you're given a condition like that, you're given almost like a remit of how you should live your life within. And then you live within those confines. But what you're saying is by breaking through those barriers, you're, you're defining how you live. And actually, you're creating your path rather than it being given to you to live in a sort of smaller way. Kind of the agreement they set up is if you're careful, you never end up being in hospital. Like you should do all this. You have this condition now. This is how you have to act. This is how you have to behave. This is who you are. Yeah, this is who you are. This is how you identify. This is how you should behave. These are the things you can't do. These are the rules for this condition. Yeah. So I obeyed all the rules for eight years. And where did it lead me? Back into a hospital bed. Because newsflash, that's what happens when you have chronic illness. And it's not my fault. It's not because I didn't do any, I did something wrong. It's not because I didn't follow the rules. I followed the rules and I still ended up in hospital. So why not not follow the rules and still end up in hospital and have as much fun as I can in the meantime? And would you say that's what accounted to your, for your shift? Because obviously you started living life that way. Yeah. You started living life in a different way. And as such, confidence grew behind it. You know, what's quite funny is I actually account that for my breakdown is because what happened was I went into hospital in the middle of second year, the second year summer. uh, So like three months later was when I had this YOLO summer. And then about three months after that is when I had PTSD. And it's because I think what my mind did was, wait, you're starting to face these things. I think you're mentally strong enough. If you're mentally strong enough to face all these fears, you're mentally strong enough to face all these memories as well. And so, I mean, this is really backwards if people really strongly believe in the medical model that this is how I view my life. Because my mind, my unconscious mind knew I was ready to handle all the memories. It led me to this like, this roadblock and this mental breakdown that I needed to have in order to be liberated. And so it's, it's almost backwards. It's almost like I needed to, like, there's no way I could be living the life I had now without yeah. having gone through the sifting of the baggage that I had carried through my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think until I started facing the outer fears, like going on a roller coaster and going on a hike, it's not big things, but to me, they were massive. Mm. Um, then my mind started going, okay, I'm getting on board with this. I'm getting on board with the fact you're going to start facing your fears. Here's your biggest fear. Here's everything that you've ever been terrified of. In one day, I'm going to just bombard, because I was sitting in the middle of a psychology lecture when this happened. And it just like, it was like a roller decks of memories just flashing forward. Uh, it was... It was the lecturer had said, she was talking about chronic pain and the psychological effects of it. And she said, usually when you walk into a hospital room, the first thing they'll tell you is that they're not crazy. I had a psychologist walk into my hospital room when I was 11 years old. And she uh, she introduced herself, told me she was a psychologist. And I yelled at her going, I'm not crazy. I don't need a psychologist. And as soon as she said that, it was like I flashed back to my 11-year-old self and all these memories started flooding in that I had 
partially blocked out, partially didn't want to think about, mm. um, and was now confronted with all these memories that I did have to sift through and sort through and make sense of. Mm. No, I can totally with you with what you're saying. Like, I think you have to break down to break through. And actually, yeah. another gentleman I interviewed on Kitty Talk was very open about the fact that he'd been abused as a child. And then on the radio at 28, he basically heard all the triggers around abuse. And that was what cracked exactly a similar experience to what you had. It was also like he was at a point where he could deal with it in his development and it cracked him open. Yeah. And, and, but he broke down, but he broke through. And now you've broken through all of the stuff you were carrying. Because energetically, I don't think you can, we can carry those stuffed down emotions yeah. and hurting us and then forming into some type of you know, problems, really. You have to let them out. When you carry that many emotions, I also have the belief that that manifests into physical illness. Yeah, absolutely. So I have no doubt in my mind that if I hadn't had that PTSD, I mean, I don't even like the word PTSD. When I talk about I don't like labels. As soon as she told me I had PTSD, I was like, I don't have PTSD. I don't have a trauma. (laughs) Um, Because also the thing with PTSD is I'd only heard it in the context of rapes and war veterans. And I didn't feel worthy enough to have that title of PTSD because I didn't envisage uh, my experiences as a trauma. In a way, it was good, but also in a way was me dismissing my experiences as not important enough to deal with. Um, And so when I went through the PTSD and all of that, I hated that label. But if I just talk about the symptoms, the hysterical crying, the water life crisis of what the hell am I going to do now since I just graduated um, was necessary because if I had not done that, I would have just carried on on the path that I had envisaged my whole life. But instead, that's what forced me to look for a different avenue of psychology, which landed me um, on a website about hypnotherapy, which somehow included this thing called NLP. Mm. Um, And then what happened with that was I... uh, I w- I've always had the belief that you can't uh, you can't work in a model that you don't use personally. So that's why I struggled to have this idea that I was going to be a therapist but didn't believe in therapy. And so before I got trained in NLP, hypnotherapy and all of that, I wanted to just experience it. I'd already experienced hip- uh, hypnotherapy. I had never experienced NLP. So I went to this guy in London and uh, he did a technique called havening. And in two hours, he undid every single symptom I'd been experiencing of my PTSD. And I walked out. And the last thing I said when I walked out of that session, I don't remember much from the session. Apart from the last thing I said was, I think this is what it feels like to be happy. And I had never thought, as I said before, I've always been a happy person. I always, I identified as a happy person. And yet the last thing I said walking out of there was, I think this is what it feels like to be happy. Um, And I walked out really confused because um, if anyone who's listening has experienced NLP, it is hard to explain. It's hard to comprehend, um, especially when it happens so quickly. And I had the same feeling walking out being like, I have no idea what this guy has done. I have no, he was asking me to sing happy birthday, move my eyes from left to right, all these weird things. And I was like, I don't quite believe it. I don't really care how it worked. I just care that it did work. But I also don't believe that it's going to stick because I've been crying for the last four months and you can't fix me in two hours because that's not how psychology works. And I came home and almost as a gift from the universe, 
on my doorstep was a 500-page medical record that my doctors had sent over from America um, because I had asked for it because I'd been getting headaches. But it, it had been delayed and then lost and whatever else, but it landed on my doorstep that day, got home, seeing it sitting on my doorstep. I was like, I really want to read that, but I know it's just going to send me all these memories back. And my sister, I was on the phone with my sister. My sister kept going, don't read it, don't read it. He fixed you, he fixed you, don't like, and I'm really stubborn. So I sat there, read my 500-page medical record for four hours, and I didn't cry a single tear reading the whole thing. I didn't have any, like, flashbacks. I didn't have any hallucinations. And I was like, I guess that means I'm fixed. But whatever this guy's done is what I need to learn because I want everyone to know about this technique and I want everyone who has PTSD to be aware of this alternative to therapy because mm-hmm. therapy might work for some people. It didn't for me. And if I hadn't known about, if I hadn't done my psychology degree, I would have never known about hypnotherapy or about um, NLP in the way I did. So that became my next life mission was I wanted everyone to know about havening and everyone to know about um, this new alternative model of therapy. So would you say to people out there listening, you know, they're, they're trying to find their passion and their purpose. They're trying to find their place on earth. They're trying to make a difference on the planet. You know, from listening to your story, it sounds like you, you followed your intuition about what to do next. You know, what came up for you, you just went and followed and did it. Yeah. Um, something I, I was saying, today actually on my Instagram, um, I was saying that if something if something sticks in your head and you're prodded in that direction more than once, start listening to it. Because if it's come back a second time, there's usually a reason behind it. So for example, and I was talking about this in relation to my YouTube channel, I wanted to, I started my YouTube channel when I was 18 years old. Um, that was the day I went into hospital. And I found it so hard to watch that YouTube channel, that YouTube video, because I was in pain while I was filming it and I didn't realize why. But I deleted it, scrapped it. Three years later, it came back and it was like, you really should start that YouTube channel. You've always wanted to have a YouTube channel. I started it, like dabbled in there, and then it came back again. And now I've hit my stride with it. I'm absolutely in love with it. It's my favorite thing that I do. But it's this thing where it just kept coming back. It wouldn't leave me alone. And I was like, if it comes back that many times, there is something to it. Your unconscious mind wants you to listen and it'll keep saying it until you do it. Um, and so I, I said this on my Instagram stories and it's funny because right before we started this podcast, I was reading through my messages that I received this morning and um, I got four messages from people being like, you've just given me the final push because I've been thinking of starting an Instagram page. I've been thinking of like changing into body positivity and all of these things. And they're like, you were the final push because it just kept coming around. And the second, and my whole point with the video was stop waiting for the 10th time that your mind says it, listen to the second time. Like once we all have thoughts, I wouldn't listen to every thought that you have, but when a thought is more than once, it tends to have some weight and some gravity to it. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think um, the magic three, when things appear, or you can even ask questions, can't you? You can ask and then see what confirmation you get from the universe. I think that's also a really powerful, powerful way of seeing. But Michelle, thank you. It's really fascinating stuff. And it's so wonderful to see somebody who really has followed their passion and purpose. 
Yeah, no, fantastic. Yeah, that's really wonderful. Thank you, Michelle. Um, and for those of you listening who want to find out more about Michelle and her work, we'll have all the details in the show notes. Um, but thank you for listening to Kiss Talks and we look forward to seeing you with our next guest next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to kitty talks be sure to head over to our kittytalks.com website become a member of our exclusive club and you'll get free interviews and access to our private facebook group exclusive webinars and secret success interviews see you there